Now we come to you admitting that uh, we're not as smart as we think we are. We've never actually thought about you enough. We've not thought about our situations enough. We've not pondered the deep things. We've not even pondered the most practical things, the ordinary things of our lives too much. We act on gut instinct. We think that our ways are higher than your ways. Lord, we come humbly and ask that you would show us in this hour we have together a brief glimpse into your wisdom found ultimately in Christ who becomes to us, has become to us, will become to us greater wisdom than Solomon. We pray this in the name of Christ, our wise counselor. Amen. Well, again, come on in. Glad to see you all here. Uh, if you need a handout, uh, they should be at the back there. Um, we should have plenty of copies here. So let me, uh, let me just start off here by reviewing a little bit of what we did uh, last week. You'll notice I've done a couple of weird things here for you today. The first weird thing is that I, I've given you a lot of my notes. I hate doing this. I don't like doing it because then uh, there's no real surprise. There, there are fewer surprises. I like to surprise you, keep you engaged. But for your records and for your use, I've given you a few more of my kind of uh, notes and uh, material I have so you can take it home, you can follow along, et cetera, et cetera. Second thing you'll notice here, a little bit weird, is that um, I've given you a lot of Hebrew words. Now, I don't like doing that because the Bible isn't a secret code language that you need to uh, memorize the Greek or the Hebrew. But in this case, when it comes to this particular section, um, I'm going to do it. I'm going to give you the words. The words aren't important, really. I mean, they're important, I suppose, for me and that sort of thing, for translating stuff. It's the concepts. But I, I'm giving you a little bit of annotation here on the back page, you'll find, uh, of, of the key text we're going to look at today, which is Proverbs 1, 1 to 7. So I suppose I'll try to find a uh, usable marker up here. There are several. It's always a game. Uh, so we're going to look primarily at the single longest unit of its type, in the Old Testament, Proverbs 1, 1 to 7, the prologue, the guide, we'll get into that. But first, before we do that, by way of review, by way of review, we are studying wisdom for the next uh, 10 weeks. I guess it's less than 10 weeks now. We're studying wisdom for the next few weeks because you need it. We're studying wisdom for the next few weeks because you don't have it. I don't have it. Not anywhere near as we think we do. We're looking at wisdom because, as I mentioned last time, um, the two main options that we have as Christians today for understanding our world are science, that is facts, empirical facts, or uh, morality. And this is a bad blue marker. My apologies. Um, you can, uh, there we go, look at that. Uh, facts and morality or uh, behavior. This is the more conservative approach, right? You say, look, act a certain way, do, make the right choice, and you'll be a good person. This is maybe the more uh, kind of non-Christian way of doing things. Get the facts, educate yourself, and you'll be a good person, right? That's the way we, we live our lives. On the other hand, however, the Bible puts forth wisdom as the category that you and I need. There, are, I mentioned last time, 613-some-odd laws in the Old Testament. Those are case laws. They don't cover nearly, they cover maybe 1% of the activities you do in a day. Maybe 2% if we're generous. You engage in so many decisions that require wisdom. That's what we made last week. So you need it, right? I defined it here. Uh, this is from uh, Derek Kidner's Excellent. If you want one-stop shop uh, on a great commentary that everybody should have in their, in their, uh, in their house, in their home, uh, the old Brit, Derek Kidner from the 60s, 
uh, I believe. Yep, 64. Um, not always on target, but the way he puts things, you, you want him to go in more detail, but he puts it just so uh, pithily, so much like the book of Proverbs itself. Uh, highly recommended Derek Kidner Proverbs. You can buy the cheap copy, uh, the used copy for, uh, you know, five bucks. It's not that big of a deal. Um, yeah, recommend that. If you want more details, more books, I can, of course, give you that. He says this, definition of wisdom. Wisdom is competence with regard to the realities of life. Competence with regard to the realities of life. In other words, in other words, we mentioned last week, there is a pattern, there's a reality. Remember the two great points from last week? There's a reality, there's a pattern. That wisdom is about recognizing there is a pattern, A, and B, most of the pattern is hidden from you. There's a pattern, A, and that's what the conservatives love. The conservatives love to say, look, there's a pattern, just live it. You know, you look at the politicians, they tweet from Proverbs. They usually only tweet one part of the verse, you know, which is a problem. But uh, they tweet it as if it's like an obvious moral thing that you, of course, should do. But wisdom is way more than that. Wisdom is not simply uh, recognizing the pattern. It's also, it's also recognizing that most of it is hidden from you. Moreover, and I suppose we'll get into a kind of a new illustration here for us. Um, wisdom's like a Jolly Rancher. Now, let me just say this as caveat, because sometimes folks think that when I mention something in a sermon or in a teaching, that means I like it. Be very clear here. Do not give me a Jolly Rancher. I don't like Jolly Ranchers. But wisdom is like a Jolly Rancher. How, how so? Well, if you chomp on it quickly, you lose all its flavor. If you chomp on the proverb quickly, you lose all its flavor. If you, you know, go to the book of Proverbs and, and you seek to understand what it means to, for example, just turning almost randomly here, 24 verse 10, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. And on the one hand, that's pretty easy, right? Uh, if, if you don't stand up when uh, hard times come, you're a weak person. Great. That seems very obvious, maybe. But we got to think about what that means. We got to actually apply that to our life. We got to actually say, in the moment, in the moment of adversity, what am I doing? How can I prepare for that moment? You see, wisdom is like a jolly rancher. If you chomp on it too quickly, you're going to lose all the flavor and you could break your tooth. We don't want you to break your tooth. Wisdom needs slow marination, or as, or as I could say, You've never thought hard enough about anything in your life. Part of the point of the Bible's wisdom is to tell us that we have actually never, and this is humbling for me because, you know, I like to think about things. You and I have never thought hard enough about anything in our lives. There's no topic that you have actually satisfactorily considered. And that's part of the point. Um, a little more by, by way of review before we get into the main, the main section here. The Proverbs are... Cumulative. The Proverbs are cumulative. What does cumulative mean? Just, what does it mean to be cumulative? Yeah, they come together. They build on one another. This is why you can't just tweet a proverb out. This is why you can't memorize one proverb and think you have it all covered. 
modern folks like us have an issue with this because we want a technique. We want something we can memorize. That's what C.S. Lewis talks about in Abolition of Man. He says, look, you want a technique that you can learn and memorize and then put into practice an hour later. I mean, that's why you come to church, right, isn't it? To, to get something you can use for one o'clock on Sunday afternoon. I hope it's not. I hope it's not. You come from the nugget, right? The, the application, the, the principle. And the book of Proverbs says, hold on now. The whole wisdom literature of Scripture says, hold on now. It's not a standalone promise. If you train up a child in the way that he shall go, when he is old, he won't depart from it. Sounds like a promise, right? I think parents could tell us that's not a promise. You know, I mean, not a promise by itself. Each is a description of some aspect of how life works. In other words, to get a sense of the entire biblical understanding of wisdom, you have to connect the Proverbs together. You have to put them together. You can't just take pick, cherry pick one. I'll give you an example here. Proverbs 29, 19. You know, servants can't get why they do things. They can't understand the reason because they're just servants. So you need to be hard with them. Be really strict. You know, lay down the law with your servants. Lay down the law with your kids. Lay down the law with your workers. And then, however, 17.2 of Proverbs, a wise servant can actually be better than a family member. If you have a wise servant and you have a fool of a son, well, actually, the servant's going to be better. So you got to put those two things together. And you realize that the first 29.19 is not talking about all servants. It's not saying all servants are dumb, so they can't understand anything. They're just servants. It's saying only those who are unresponsive are sullen or unteachable are foolish. Right? So Proverbs are cumulative. We, we're not here just to take, you know, help me be a better parent, take some proverb. Help me be a better worker. You know, I need not be lazy. Uh, you know, I need to be like the ant and not a sluggard. Okay? You got to put that together. Put that together. Last but not least, of course, and this is a beautiful quote here in the footnote by O. Palmer Robertson, who, by the way, gave a great speech at General Assembly this year, but um, wisdom is personified. This was last week, right? Proverbs 8. Wisdom is a person. Wisdom's not a thing. Do you remember I quoted from, the, uh, from Ben Sirah, from Sirach, that Jewish intertestamental wisdom, and Ben Sirah said, hey, you need to uh, get wisdom. Take the yoke of wisdom on you, and you'll get its rest. And then, of course, Christ comes, and what does he say? He says, take my yoke, and I will give you rest, right? Wisdom is personified because it's not a concept. The goal of our course is not simply to get a concept. It's to get the person of Christ. It's to get him. He is wisdom. That's 1 Corinthians 1, right? He's become to us wisdom from God. Um, as Robinson says, I'll just quote his quote. It's a great, great quote. The wisest way to wisdom is to follow the root of the wise men from the east. We saw a star in the east. We've come to worship him. They found the child born of a virgin, conceived the Holy Spirit, designated the Son of God. As a youth, he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Of himself, he said, wisdom, one greater than Solomon is here. The wisdom of man is made foolishness by the revelation of God's wisdom in Christ. He has all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge hidden in himself. So really the ultimate goal of the whole course is to see Christ as wise. Christ is the one who gives wisdom. You are never truly wise until you pursue Christ and get him. Get him. <clears throat> so um, that's basically review a little bit of conceptual scaffolding, foundation laying. Questions on that, thoughts on that. Push back on that.
Rusty, you're thinking, aren't you? I can tell you're thinking. Do you have any thoughts? You're a thoughtful person. Very good, Rusty. Yeah, go ahead. That's really good. Um, we have a whole class on that. Um, I think this is scheduled for the 11th of September. Uh, Wisdom and Counterpoint, because that's a brilliant point, Russ. I think that's crucial to recognize that in the canon, it's deliberate that Proverbs is first and then Ecclesiastes is second. There's a, there's a link there. I need to save it. I don't want to give away anything just yet. Um, so a little bit on uh, anything else, by the way. Thank you, Russ. You're very kind for letting me call you out of the blue. Um, anything else? All right, moving on then to uh, the actual text itself here. Uh, let me give you just a couple of comments on um, Proverbs 1, 1 to 7. This is the only prologue like it, the only kind of one of its type and its length in the Old Testament. It's the governing uh, purpose statement, if, if you will, of the whole book, of the whole uh, system of Proverbs. It's put there deliberately at the start as foundation. I mean, think about it. If you just flip to Proverbs 10, you know, and you just start with all these two-line Proverbs, you're going to be overwhelmed. You need some guidance. And part of our issue is that we don't get the guidance first. We skip to it because we want to get to the good stuff. We want to get to the help me order my life properly. But don't, we can't skip it. We can't skip it. Uh, first thing you note here is that it's, uh, it's, it's in poetry. It's not simply, it's not in prose. Uh, much of the wisdom literature, Job, Proverbs, some of Ecclesiastes, is written in poetry. We don't like poetry today. There's a reason why many Presbyterians love to go to the New Testament and preach through Romans or Galatians. Great books, love them. Logical, analytic flow of arguments. Great, really important to do. But the Bible also gives us poetry. A lot of poetry. And that should tell us that uh, there's something in this poetry that we need to grasp. It's one of the failings, actually. One of the reasons why we don't have wisdom is that we want everything to be nice and logical and easily ordered. But the Bible opens up here, and it says wisdom is poetic. I think we have to think, we, we see two things here about why, why poetry is important uh, for, for wisdom itself. First is the, the imagery used. The seventh commandment forbids adultery. Great. Good. So then why does Proverbs spend chapter and chapter and chapter and chapter and chapter about, you know, don't go with the foolish woman, my son. Why does it go over and over again about many sins, but about that particular danger? We already have the law. Why do you think that we have the chapter upon chapter upon chapter that at least essentially deals with the seventh commandment? Why, why does God order it that way? Why don't he, I mean, we have the command. Of understanding 
guys, if I, it's not so bad, I'll just do this. It's not so bad, I'll just do this. And it's just a warning to us. So about not being enticed by the little things that will put us in the position of breaking the law. Yeah. And that's a great way to put it, Chloe. You know, it, it gives, it gives a, a depth to the command. It, it fills it out. If the command is a skeleton, this is the flesh and blood. That's really important. It's, it, it fills out. It 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 details the the actual command. Yeah, I think secondly, the reason that the imagery is given here is <clears throat> it wants to appeal to our hearts. It wants to appeal to the nature of beauty and ugliness. That's why we're given women. That's why we're given pictures, uh, wisdom personified, folly personified. We'll look at that next week. We're given imagery because it hits us at a different place. I mean, you know this, parents. If you told your kids, go clean up your room, you give them a bare command, that's it. <laughs> Be ready to come back five minutes later, 10 minutes later, an hour later, and find the room's not done. But if you, if you go in there, let's say you clean up the room yourself, and you show them, do you not see how beautiful this is, how, how well-ordered it is, how good it is? Right? You, you, you demonstrate them through the, through the seeing of it and the revealing of the beauty and the order. And the pattern, right? The pattern of reality. Yeah, do you think that comments on that? Poetry, I think, hits us in a different place. God knows that. Second reason, by the way, um, <clears throat> to note about the, the, the form of the poetry is uh, that it's, it's parallel or parallelism. There's a lot made of this. Uh, we can get all the scholarly information. We're not doing that here. Um, but just a couple of concepts that you need to know about what it means to be uh, parallel. Um, First, parallelism simply is uh, two phrases, right? Two lines, line A and line B uh, together. Line A and line B together, and the meaning is found in the relationship between the two. The meaning is found in the relationship between the first line and the second line. Uh, now, this meaning can be a variety of things. Scholars have argued about it. But in the Proverbs, we see that it can be uh, kind of just a uh, restatement. You know, uh, A, B, same sort of thing, just different words. It can be, however, also a, um, what, is I, what did I put down here? It can be a um, correcting where, you know, A, but... B, or it can be kind of a uh, addition. A, also B. And part of the key to understand these proverbs, particularly you know, in uh, starting in chapter ten, where you have these kind of two-line A B classic couplets, is to understand the, the relationship between the two. So I give you here one example, Proverbs 13, verse 6. Righteousness guards the person of integrity, but wickedness overthrows the sinner. 
We hear four words in the book of Proverbs over and over again. Righteous, wicked, wise, fool. What does it mean? What does it mean to be righteous? What does it mean to be wicked? What does it mean to be a fool? What does it mean to be wise? You can only answer those questions by looking at the individual relationship between the two lines. In this case, wickedness particularly is not just any vague, random evil or sin, but it is a lack of integrity. You might translate it as a lack of integrity overthrows the sinner. Um, So the actual meaning of the word wise or righteous or wicked or fool is somewhat different depending upon the individual proverb. So any questions on kind of just the basic poetry, poetic nature of proverbs or wisdom literature in general? Okay. Moving on then. Um, The actual section itself, let's do a little bit of work here. This is, again, a little more detailed than I like to do, but I think it's important for our, our sake. Uh, you have the, the um, <clears throat> this is the ESV, you know, uh, you have in your handout, uh, Proverbs 1, 1 to 7. I've given a little bit of annotations, uh, not too much, but um, let me kind of give you the, um, the outline, if you will. Verse 1 is the title. Verse 1 is the title of, um, of the whole work. Very simply, verse 1 is the title. Verse 2 is the, uh, the purpose of the whole book of Proverbs. And then verse 7 is the motto. You know, everybody has a motto. I think churches used to have a lot of mottos or purpose statements or whatever. The key theme or motto of the book of Proverbs is verse, verse 7. But <clears throat> verse 2 to 6, 2 to 6, is divided into a couple of... Um, Segments. Let me show you. Verse 2a, that is the first line of verse 2, is all about moral virtue. 2b is all about mental insight. Moral virtue and mental insight. And then, verse 3 to verse 4, I believe this is on your handout, you don't need to take notes, but just uh, for funsies. Uh, Verse 3 to verse 4 unpacks virtue. And then verse 5 to verse 6 unpacks uh, insight, what it means to have mental insight. You'll notice the relationship here in the, um, in the first verse. I'll read it to you. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Vital to see what we got here. What we have here is, of course, already mentioned by Rusty, uh, Solomonic wisdom. Now, Solomon's not the author of the whole book in terms of putting it all together. hope that's not uh, scary to you, but we have collections that, that, that are given. We have people called Agur, Limuel, Limuel 31.1, Agur 30, verse 1. We have in uh, chapter 25, verse 1, these also are Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. And so much of this is Solomon's writing, but it's been put together by other people. It's been edited and put together for a deliberate purpose. Just that, that shouldn't scare us because this is what uh, all the letters do. This is what, I mean, Mark does not record everything that Christ does. He puts it together with a particular point. Same thing with um, the book of Proverbs. So much of it is Solomon's writing, but it's put together with a deliberate uh, goal here in mind to give us wisdom. Um, well, notice here, 
that Solomon's called son of David. And that tells us that this is a royal enterprise. Son of David, king of Israel. That wisdom is royal. Wisdom is meant to be not just for you personally, but it's meant to be for the whole nation. It's meant to be for the whole uh, covenant community, for the whole church. It's meant to be not just for you and yours, but for all of us. Wisdom is a communal enterprise. Well, we know that, of course, because uh, <laughs> wisdom seeks many counselors. And many counselors, wisdom's found. So uh, to think that you can do it yourself, to think I can be a wise guru on my own, is actually folly. It's actually foolishness. So from the very beginning, uh, we have here the reality that wisdom is royal. Second, wisdom's also covenantal. Now, this is a bit of a harder thing to realize because it feels like if you just flip to the middle of some random page in Proverbs, God's not mentioned a lot, it seems like. It seems like these are just, you know, uh, common sense Proverbs. What your grandma said, a stitch in time saves nine, right? It can feel that way. But when you actually study the, the Proverbs, uh, about a hundred times the covenant name of Yahweh is used. hundred times. That's about 10%, by the way, roughly, in the whole book. So at first blush, it feels like this is a, uh, you know, anybody can know this sort of stuff. It's kind of common sense wisdom, peasant wisdom. No. This is uh, given from the king of Israel. That is the king of God's people. That is the one who is uh, appointed by God to, to deliver wisdom. So it's... <clears throat> It's royal covenantal. And if you need further evidence of that, uh, Proverbs 2, 16 and 17 speak deliberately about um, covenant made. Um, it might be a covenant of marriage, but um, uh, there's still, there's still a, a, the covenant of her God is employed. Um, now, finally, you'll note <clears throat> common language in the whole book, is not simply royal or covenantal. It's also familial. There's a lot of father-son, mother-son commentary used here. A lot of family interaction. The classic idea in ancient Israel was that the parents were to pass on their learning to their kids. You see it in verse 8. Hear my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching. Both parents involved there. Um, and so there are these connections that the families involved the nations involved, and the covenant people involved. That is, wisdom requires a group of people working together. Comments on any of that before we move on? Questions, pushback, clarifications, confusion, anything else? All righty, we'll move on then. Um, yes, the key, the key theme here is verse 7. I'm sure you may have memorized it. You probably know it. The fear of the Lord, beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fear of the Lord's beginning. That is the starting point. It's not the ending point. Um, and even as we think about Solomon's own life, wisdom is a very tenuous thing at best. You can have it, and you can lose it. That's why I give you 26.12. I'll read it to you. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes, there is more hope for a fool than for him. If you think you're wise, you think you have wisdom, you don't. You think you have wisdom, 
It's like humility. You know, if you go out and say, hey, I'm really humble. No, you're not. You, you've, you've misunderstood something critical about it, right? That um, you are dependent upon God at every step. If you think you're wise, you're the fool. Um, so let's get into the actual words here, if that's all right. <clears throat> We're going to hit these. We have time to do it, I think, and uh, hopefully it'll be helpful for us. Um, we begin, and you may want to have your, uh, the, the little thing I, I put there together. Um, we begin here in verse 2. Um, I guess we begin with verse 1 here. Uh, the word proverb itself, the word proverb or, or mashal is simply a um, basic definition of something that is terse, poetic, vivid, thought-provoking. It gives a whole universe, a whole galaxy of truth in just a few short words. Uh, it's, it's an observation about the pattern of reality. Recall that one of the basic points about wisdom, there's a pattern we have to submit to it. We have to realize it. Right, so a proverb simply is that. Now, it requires meditation. I mentioned earlier, we need to think more about everything we do. Right. Second, let's move on then. That's, we've already covered that. Um, verse 2, to know, or yada yada. Now, it's not yada technically. It's, you know, a uh, different form. But yada yada, the verbal form, in Yiddish. We use it today because of our Yiddish friends. But it was originally a Hebrew infinitive. It often means, in wisdom literature, not just to know, but to possess. That is, knowledge is something you have. Knowledge is something you attain. I give you some, uh, some, some places to go there at the bottom in the footnote if you want to look up later. It refers to any kind of knowledge. The highest of knowledge that you will find in your study of the universe and the most mundane, how to tie your shoe, which I haven't learned yet because I need to retie my shoe down here. Right? Knowledge. Most mundane to highest profundity. So when it says to know wisdom, it's not saying memorize every proverb. That's not the kind of knowledge we're talking about simply, but it's to attain it. It is to have it. One of the points we'll make down, the, down below is that you can memorize every single proverb and be a fool. That's what the Pharisees did. Right? You can memorize all the proverbs and yet not be wise. Um, next word. This is the key word. I think of all the, all the words we have here today. Chokmah. Or wisdom. The classic word, classic word in the Bible of what it means to be wise. It refers uh, to skill or expertise in a given area. So uh, I do not have chokmah when it comes to cooking. My wife does, right? At least according to my taste buds, uh, you know. Uh, but when you are chopping the veggies, when you're cutting up the, the food for the meal, and you chop them just perfectly, so fine, so nice, so beautiful, you have chopping hokma. When, when your family gets done, they see what you've chopped up, they should come to you and they should say, hokma, you've done it. You've attained this beautiful skill. Or as I say there, the break of a curveball, right? Knowing uh, and being able to throw it with such an amount of spin that it curves right into the strike zone and the batter whiffs on it, that's hokma, right? It, it's having the skill and the expertise to do something well. It has some overlap with the Greek uh, notion of arete, that is, the, the notion of, of virtue. You know, the knife is made to cut well, and when a knife cuts well, and you're doing it, that's chokmah, right? Um, this is important, as I mentioned here, because 
there are no laws against bad personality traits, right? Part of Hulkman is having positive personality traits. Organization, not disorganization. Emotionally robust, not emotionally fragile. There's no, there's no command the Bible gives about being disorganized. It's not in the, it's not in the Ten Commandments. <laughs> it's not there in the 613 commandments of the law of Moses. There's no commandment about being disorganized. There's no commandment about being kind of abrasive. There's no commandment about being emotionally fragile. None of those. And yet, if those are some of your character traits or things like them, you don't have hope, and it can damage your life. It can damage your life. We need wisdom. We need to have skill in a given area. Question about any of that. Greg. <laughs> very well could be, yeah, yeah, very well could. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a link there, right? We're just saying things we don't know what they are, ironically. Yeah, that's a good, good point. Um, next, to know wisdom and instruction, or as I translate here, uh, discipline. This is uh, musur. Discipline. It means training with strong correction. It's, you know, the drill sergeant. It's, it's the friends that give you... Uh, uh, correction and guidance. Uh, it can be learning from your own mistakes. It's God's discipline. God, we'll see it today with Jacob, right? God chastises those he loves. Suffering that God wisely allows. It's through the hard knocks that you learn more about the pattern of reality and the pattern of this world. Every time your car breaks down, when my car breaks down, I learn a little bit more about cars. I have a faulty sensor. I'm told that it would cost hundreds of dollars to replace it. I'm also told if I replace it, it's going to go bad in a mile anyway. So I haven't replaced it. There's an element of wisdom there, right? And you can be a great mechanic, and you can know, hey, the sensor's off. And then you tell me, yeah, John, pay 300 bucks for that sensor. But you don't tell me it's going to go bad in two miles. You're not wise, right? You're, you're, not, you're not wise. Part of wisdom is not just doing it with cars, but with life learning more about our lives, more about our failings, more about our flaws. Self-examination, correction, clear thinking, musar. And so it's not just instruction. That's why, that's why I wanted to go through this, because it's not, um, you read in the ESV, you even read it in other, other translations, it's not always super clear what these words mean. They can all kind of sound the same, because they kind of run, you know, you read it through, and you're kind of, okay, I got 10 minutes to read my devotional, bam, 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 let's get something out here. And you go to verse 7, and that's kind of it. There's way more there, way more here. Um, moving on. Second part of verse 2. Remember, part, the first part of verse 2 is about virtue, right? This wisdom, this discipline. Second part here is about insight. To understand words of insight. This is the word I mentioned last week, bina. Insight. It's the ability to be Sherlock Holmes. You know, to go into the room and recognize that, you know, because the fire poker is, you know, two feet away from the fireplace, that means the villain, you, you know, used it or whatever the case may be. And I would look at it, I wouldn't have any clue. It's the ability to know that cooking at 350 and cooking at 450 is the difference between a great meal and a burnt meal. You know, the difference between 2%, 6%, and Lorraine and your anesthetic can kill you, right? Knowing the exact mixture of, of gases to put in to make sure you fall asleep but don't die 
is vital every time you go under. Absolutely. You know that. I know that. Um, and so to be wise, it's to recognize these small distinctions. Part of wisdom is knowing the distinctions. It's what, it's what John Calvin said about theology. And John Calvin loved to say, look, good theology is about making the vital distinctions, the vital shades of gray, the vital understanding between what's good, what's better, what's best. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's easy to know what's good, what's better, what's best. Sometimes it's really hard. Wisdom is understanding multiple options, possible courses of action. We mentioned last time, you know, do uh, if I'm looking for a job, if I'm looking to talk to person A or person B or person C, who do I talk to? How do I speak to them? If I'm trying to evangelize, speak to others about my faith, what do I do? How do I do that? What do I say? Insight. Insight needed in so many ways in our lives. Um, questions on any of that so far? <laughs> I'm going to get y'all to make uh, questions somehow, some way, shape, or form. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, <clears throat> discernment, therefore, is the ability not just to tell um, good or bad, but to have broader categories of life. Moving on then, um, verse 3, to receive instruction in wise dealing. Uh, verse 4 talks about discretion, knowledge and discretion to the youth. These are two words among several, planning uh, or wise dealing and discretion. This is the ability, it's a critical ability, um, that <clears throat> tells us part of wisdom is planning. Now, some of y'all know how to plan really well. You know how to have a big idea. You're idea people. And some of us, some of y'all, are detail people. The logistics of the thing. The nitty-gritty. You're not idea people. You're the detail people. What a beautiful thing it is. You've seen it maybe occasionally. It's rare, maybe. To have somebody who's both a big vision caster, a big idea person, and somebody who can be a logistical person, kind of the, the steps to get to the end goal. That's, uh, that's what these are, words are referring to. It's the ability to recognize implications and to see trajectories. This is what Flory was talking about earlier. You know? The steps you take to get to the sinful end. If you take this little step A, you're going to eventually end up at point G if you're not careful. It's not a good place to end up at point G. Right? Trajectories. To anticipate problems. To know how to deal with a variety of solutions and choose the right one. To have the ability to um, not be too cautious or too overconfident. Knowing not only what to do, but when to do it. I mentioned last time that the, the, the right word in the right place to the right person at the wrong time cause a disaster. Cause a disaster. You can have all your ducks except for one lined up in a row. Disaster. How do you avoid that? Wisdom. The ability to see trajectories. The ability to plan. And of course, as I mentioned here, um, this is the kind of part of wisdom discussions that you can immediately see overlap with a lot of uh, kind of common sense or uh, non-Christian or even, you know, what passes for Christian understanding. How do I solve the vacuum blowing up in the middle of my room? How do I solve it when my child has pink eye? 
What do I do? Here are the steps I need to take. Bam, bam, bam. Good steps. Why? There's wisdom in it. You, gotta, you, gotta, you need it. And yet, <clears throat> the Bible tells us that much of what the world calls wisdom is considered folly in the eyes of God. And what the world says is folly is wisdom in the eyes of the world. We actually see it this morning with Jacob. The most wise action in the history of the universe is the action of the Father and the Son and the Spirit together, planning, implementing, doing, pursuing the goal of the redemption of the world and of you. The most wise plan, First Corinthians lays it out, God has made foolish the wisdom of this world, this age, passing away. He didn't call the noble, not any noble boy, not many of high society. It looks foolish, it looks stupid. I mean, this is what the fairy tales tell us. You know, you think about hobbits. Hobbits are stupid people. Hobbits are, are you know, tiny and weak and not really powerful. Little kids, heavenly kids. Not that big, they're just kids. And yet through it, what happens? The fantasy world's overthrown. The fairy tale uh, occurs. Evil is overcome. In the same way, God in Christ, in an infinitely more greater way, God in Christ, the suffering servant, succeeds in a way that Satan had no idea. Satan had no idea. Uh, last thing, then we'll, we'll head out. Um, <clears throat> verse 5. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. This is lakah, Hebrew lakah, word learning. It does mean extensive study. I'm going to press this home again and again. We have not studied wisdom literature nearly enough. We have not studied anything in our lives as much as we could or ought. And so the point here is that you can have knowledge and not be wise, but you can't have wisdom without knowledge. There's no wisdom without knowing something. You can know a lot about cars and yet ruin other people's cars. But the only way you're actually going to be wise about cars is to know a lot about cars. You have to be knowledgeable about a topic before you can be discerning about it, before you can have discretion, before you can uh, be disciplined about it. So the proverb says, let the wise increase in learning. Think about Solomon. Did Solomon increase in learning after a certain point? No, he didn't. He didn't increase in learning. He, he said, I, I have wisdom. He shows he has wisdom. He gives wisdom. And yet at some point in his life, he turns from wisdom. Let the wise increase in learning. Um, and of course, you know, true wisdom requires knowledge of the Bible. That's what Christ shows us. Every moment in his life, he's quoting the Bible. On the cross, at the moment of greatest trial, he's quoting the scriptures. He's not quoting, you know, Aristotle. He's not quoting, you know, the, the, the Roman law. He's not quoting the Roman politicians. He's not quoting, you know, the, the folks who are, who are podcasting. He's quoting the scriptures. It's vital for us to grasp. And how do you think he did that? How do you think he had the presence of mind to do that? Because over the years, he had studied it. He had delved in the Word of God. He didn't, have some, he didn't call on his magic divinity to kind of solve the issue. So, um, wisdom. There's a lot here. We'll get into it next week a little more. Look at uh, the rest of the book of Proverbs. Look at folly. And um, maybe we'll talk, talk a little bit about the... Uh, Proverbs 31 woman and who that might actually be or not. Um, any uh, last comments, cares, concerns, queries?
other synonyms for questions. All right, well, let me, uh, let me go ahead and close us in prayer. Father, make us wise. Make us wise to see ourselves in light of you. Give us fear of you, not, not terror, but reverence and awe of who you are, of your ways. May we conform ourselves not by forcing you down to our level, onto our playing field, but by willingly depending upon every word that comes from your mouth. Lord, help us to increase in learning. Give us that discipline. Give us that skill, that expertise. Show us the path of wisdom found in Christ alone. Give us him the hour to come. We pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you.